not sorry. I did what I did because Buzz humiliated me. And since he gets away with everything, I'll let him have it. And since you're also stupid to believe his lies, I don't care if your idiotic Florida trip gets wrecked or not. Who wants to spend Christmas in a tropical climate anyway? Kevin! Kevin, you walk out of here, you sleep on the third floor. Yeah, with me. So what else is new? You better not wreck my trip, you little sourpuss. Your dad's paying good money for it. Oh, wouldn't want to spoil your fun, Mr. Cheapskate. Hold it right there. This is the concierge, sir. I knew it was you. I could smell you getting off the elevator. Sometimes I do get into mischief. We all do. Come on! I don't think it's a good idea for you to start running around all over New York City all by yourself. I think if our son can do it, I can do it. Okay, but Peter, I'll be fine. The way I'm feeling right now, no mugger or murderer would dare mess with me. Madam, there are hundreds of parasites out there, armed to the teeth. Do bundle up. It's awfully cold outside. Don't you know a kid always wins against two idiots? I'm down here, you big horse's ass! Welcome to Sweep Delay Podcast. This is your host with the most, Mike Mac Masunas. How's everybody doing today? I'm doing great, guys, and welcome to the STL Christmas special of 2013 and talking Home Alone 2. That's right, folks. Today's episode is not only the continuation of the Home Alone series and also where we stop, and we will not continue with Home Alone 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and however many more there are, but it's also the time of year where STL does a big Christmas episode. And it's going to be a super fun one. It's going to be a little bit different this year. i got to change things up a little bit. And this is going to be a loaded episode. I mean, the last episode I thought was pretty loaded up uh, with Big Trouble in Little China. I felt kind of bad because it was like two hours long. But it went pretty by. You know, I've heard it went by pretty fast. Uh, For those of you who enjoyed the third-party references that I made trying to be like Jack Burton, uh, thank you for the feedback, and for those of you who did not, I apologize. Uh, unlike the Arnold soundboard, when I bring Arnold on to do Arnold movies, uh, I had 12 people tell me that was awesome, and one person tell me it wasn't. So I know that that is, you know, uh, percentage-wise, is higher than somebody who doesn't like it. But I got a 50-50 response on the third-person reference. So hey, I apologize. I'm not the Rock. I'm not Jack Burden, and I I thought it'd be funny, but luckily I only did it like three or four times. So if you were offended or annoyed, I apologize. But this episode is going to be loaded up because not only are we going to be discussing Halloween, Halloween 2, oh my gosh, Home Alone 2, although Kevin McAllister does grow up to be Jigsaw, so I guess it is horror movie related, but this is also um, the STL Awards. And uh, we're going to make this going forward uh, annually. As you know, it's always annual, but it's never set on a specific episode. So I've decided going forward, every Christmas episode, we're going to do the annual STL Awards. However, it's going to be renamed. Uh, You'll find out when we get there what the new name is. But uh, last year was called the STL Awards. And maybe you got an award and maybe you didn't. But we'll get into that when we get towards the end of the show. But before we get into the review of Home Alone 2, let's get into some movie and music news. Hunt you as a punk just like any other boy. 
All right. So first up in movie news we need to talk about is the 22 Jump Street trailer. Oh, my gosh. So as you guys know, when 21 Jump Street came out, uh, not only was it a big shock and surprise to Jameson, but it was also a shock and surprise to myself how much I love that movie because 99% of the time, all movies based on TV shows absolutely suck. And this movie was great. Uh, even the cameos from the TV cast was excellent. If you go and listen to Changing Channels podcast on the 21 Jump Street review, Jameson and I also talk about the movie uh, kind of high level. But we were just really shocked at how much we really enjoyed that movie, considering, in fact, he's not a big Channing Tatum fan. And I can, you know, I, I definitely have a higher tolerance for him than most people. However, uh, the reason why I really enjoyed 21 Jump Street is because, you know, all these comedies nowadays are full of gross-out humor and let's have as much sex in it as possible and, and just oh, just totally off-the-wall gross-out humor. And 21 Jump Street had a little bit of that, but it was actually genuinely funny. And the chemistry was great between those two, and there was a perfect enough balance of the new generation comedy of having a little bit gross out humor and you know of course there's lots of swearing in it but it was it was actually a very good movie so I gave that movie four stars and then when 22 Jump Street trailer hit I was like all this trailer needs to sell me on is it's exactly like the first movie and that they are not going that it's not taking it to a new level if they just keep it the same way they did the first movie automatically this movie has a four star rating and all you got to do is do things the opposite way to bring it down and the trailer was excellent the best part was in the beginning when they start talking about uh talking about themselves meta style about how nobody thought that that movie would be successful who would have thought 21 jump street reboot would be good we guys are now giving you a new you know, and it's basically talking about, well, we're going to give you a new movie and we're going to change your name to 22 Jump Street right across the street. And it was just so good. It was so funny. I loved the trailer. Of course, it was the Red Band trailer. And it looks exactly like it's going to be like the first movie. So I'm super excited for it. The ending, of course, had some cameo appearances by the uh, bad guys in part one. So it was very cool. I definitely dig it. So right off the bat, that trailer has sold me. I can't wait to see it. The movie's already four stars for me. It's only got to screw things up to go down. So I was very excited and very pumped up to check it out. So all you guys out there who haven't seen it yet, make sure you go and check out that trailer. The next bit of news, of course, is the Expendables 3 teaser trailer. Now, this is very cool. Now, if you've seen Spaceballs, you guys know the dink, dink, ding, dink, 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 dink. You know, it's kind of famous in that uh, movie. But the guys are walking and they're whistling that song. But there's like this uh, like guitar in the background. Oh, man, it sounds so cool. And it's just a simple, all the guys walk on screen, turn around, and their last names get posted all over. And then it's you see the three skulls, Expendables 3. So, of course, we don't have a full-blown trailer, but, you know, you got to see Harrison Ford in there and Schwarzenegger and Jet Li and Jason Statham. And let's hope Jet Li has a bigger role than he did in Expendables 2. Just saying. But it's cool to see... Uh, you know, Ronda Rousey up in there, who's an MMA fighter. And uh, it was cool seeing Wesley Snipes and seeing Harrison Ford. Now, of course, they're kind, they're far away. So you really have to kind of pause it to see everybody's face. But it's really not that difficult. 
I'm super pumped. It's a really fun teaser trailer, and it's exactly what it is. It's a teaser trailer, and it was very good getting me excited to see a real trailer. I can't wait. Other bit of news is Paul Rudd has been cast as the... Oh, what do you want to call it? Uh, Ant-Man, uh, you know, the, the main guy of the movie, Ant-Man, he is Ant-Man. So Ant-Man, I have no idea who this character is. All I know is he's a comic book character. He's in Marvel. Obviously never read any of his comics. Uh, I'm assuming, uh, based on what I've heard, it's a suit that helps him to grow his size and then his helmet helps him communicate with insects. Either way, it's it's a ridiculous concept, but I'm sure they're going to make it work. I love Paul Rudd. Uh, believe it or not, I you know I, I saw his first movie, which was Halloween, uh, the Curse of you know Halloween, the Curse of Michael Myers. It was his first movie. It was terrible in there, but of course he got better and better. Clueless and uh, role models. I love this guy. Anything Paul Rudd's in, you know, I just talked about a few months ago how I watched, uh, what is that, This Is 40, and how much I really enjoyed the movie, and Paul Rudd is the reason why I enjoyed that movie so much. But I'm I'm totally cool with it. I have no issues with Paul Rudd. I think he's great. So I'm excited to see what they're going to do with this. And, of course, uh, a lot of people on the Internet, surprisingly, are really cool with this. You know, normally it's uh, the hate casting uh, that I read, which, of course, I've participated in, of course, uh, you know, everybody's got to admit you were like, whoa, what's the deal with that? Like my thing with Gail Gadot uh, wasn't necessarily, oh, it's the girl from Fast and Furious. It was like, well, you're not really an Amazon woman. You know, that's what I'm saying. And then I pled my case about how they could be changing things around and maybe it'll work. And even Amy Adams has come out to said, hey, if Zack Snyder wants her to be Wonder Woman, he's going to make her look like Wonder Woman. He's going to buff her up. There you go. So, hey, speaking of Man of Steel news, uh, this is kind of funny. Silent Cynics. Ben Affleck's already made Batman vs. Superman a better film than it would have been. It's one of the titles of an article that I read. Uh, actually, the screenwriter for Argo, Chris uh, Terrero, uh, has been asked to come in and punch up the script. And, I mean, right there, that kind of gave me some more faith into the film. And it's kind of like Ben Affleck clearly has signed some sort of deal to be you know batman after this movie you know and he'll probably end up directing uh himself in these batman movies but it's cool a lot of people heard this news and they're like okay i'm starting to get a little bit of faith in the movie because this guy is clearly going i mean clearly ben affleck's like look this script is turned into a piece of trash we need to fix it so let's bring this guy in let's get it done i mean obviously our goal ended up winning oscars people Obviously, Ben Affleck knows what he's doing. So clearly, Ben Affleck's telling the world, yeah, this script is trash. Uh, we need to fix it. And that is totally cool with me. So I'm my excitement level that was no longer there has finally gone up. Uh, so good times. I can't wait to see uh, what's going to happen and what other news that we're going to get. Now, this is kind of funny. Uh, if you are a fan of Rogue, uh, Anna Paquin in the X-Men films, Guess what, people? She's officially been cut from the new X-Men movie, Days of Future Past. Uh, believe it or not, uh, she filmed the scene, and I guess it was her only scene. It was a rescue sequence, and they went and Terrence Malick, that sucker, uh, which that's kind of a reference to, like, he'll film actors and then cut them later. Uh, that's exactly what they did with Anna Paquin. So if you were looking to see Anna Paquin in uh, X-Men, Days of Future Past, it looks like they've cut her scene and you will no longer see her in the film 
It will probably be on the DVD, but there you go. And I'm kind of a little disappointed. You know, I wanted to see her in the film, but I guess if she's only filmed one scene, you know, then it's pretty much a cameo anyway. So I guess, you know, it is what it is. And the last bit of movie news I have for you is uh, Adrian Pilecki. For those of you who uh, watch Supernatural, she would be Sam's girlfriend who eventually got burned up in uh, episode one. And then you'll probably know she was supposed to be Wonder Woman in a TV show. And then they ended up cutting that. Recently, you've seen her in uh, Red Dawn or G.I. Joe Retaliation. So here's the thing. There's going to be a From Dust Till Dawn TV show. She's going to be in that. And then she also talked about doing G.I. Joe 3. Uh, she's coming back for G.I. Joe 3. And rumor has it, so is Channing Tatum. Uh, and they're like, okay, well, didn't Duke die in number 2? Well, hey, guess what? Storm Shadow died in number 1. And he just miraculously showed up in part 2. And they didn't even explain it. So who gives a crap if Channing Tatum decides to come back for part 3? Because it's automatically going to be a better movie. Why is that? Because the best part of G.I. Joe Retaliation was The Rock and Channing Tatum. That was the best part of the movie. So you bring back Channing Tatum for part 3, I'm already sold. If Channing Tatum doesn't come back for part 3, I really don't care. I knew it was bad when on Black Friday, I had G.I. Joe Retaliation in my hand. And I was like, you want to buy this? And my wife's like, no, put it down. My wife is like the biggest G.I. Joe fan in the world. And she was so, so pumped to see that movie. And she was so disappointed. She doesn't even want to watch it again, let alone own it. And it was only like 5 bucks. So... Uh, she needs to have some redeeming qualities come back. And for her, having Duke come back is what she needs. So there you go. Now, let's roll into some quick music news. All right, guys. So for music news this week in regards to the charts, I'm very excited for the next episode. As you know, it's the big uh, 2013 top 20 music and then top five movies of 2013. I'm very excited. Uh, remember, send in your emails. Let me know what was your favorite 20 songs in 2013. Uh, it could be any song that was released on the radio in 2013. Uh, maybe, uh, or it was a CD that was released in 2013, and there was a particular song on a CD that didn't make it as a single, but it was part of your top 20. Send that in to me. I want to hear what you have to say uh you're gonna be pretty pumped up and excited to hear my list i hope so at least uh it's pretty crazy pretty diverse but i am super pumped to to tell you guys what my top 20 songs of 2013 are along with my top five movies for this week on the charts uh number one is say something uh the artist is a great big world and christina aguilera i'm sure that uh you guys have heard this song before it's kind of a really slow song the more upbeat song that came out number two is timber uh featuring kesha it's a pitbull song and it's really funky song uh, it's one of the tunes that uh, Tawana had posted in the Underground Hour um, group that we have on Facebook. Uh, how she just can't believe how much she digs this song. I have to admit, it's been played nonstop on the radio, and I'm really starting to dig it. Now, Monster from Eminem featuring Rihanna, of course. Uh, you know, Eminem and Rihanna, they're a really good pair, I have to admit. Any tune that those guys do, they just they work very well. They have great chemistry together. It's a really great song. Uh, so of course you can get the explicit version or the non-explicit version on iTunes, but that's currently number three this week. Now, uh, surprisingly on the top 10, uh, I'm not really digging it too much. I like the Timber song at number two and I like monster number three. 
We have Counting Stars, One Republic, number four. Let Her Go, Passenger, Drunk in Love, number six with Beyonce, Dark Horse, Katy Perry, Story of My Life, One Direction, number eight. Um, all those tunes, they're okay. Nothing I really love. Royals, of course, is number nine, which I absolutely despise and hate with the passion. And number 10 is Demons, Imagine Dragons. At least that's a good song. It should be way higher on the list. Now, there's a song I heard on the radio. It's called Do What You Want, uh, featuring R. Kelly. Of course, it's very uh, explicit in regards to uh, its material. So, obviously, don't really have any children around when you're listening to it. But it's a Lady Gaga song. And, man, it's some old school 80s uh dance and she's got like sounds she has going up in there it's one of those songs that when you hear it you're instantly like wow this song is so catchy but of course when you actually listen to the lyrics you're like whoa this is crazy so so that one i say go on itunes sample that one check it out you may actually like it and then uh you know other ones man i'm telling you it, there's just this week i'm not really digging uh the top 10 let alone the top 20. The Do What You Want, number 16 from uh, Lady Gaga. I really actually liked that song the first time I heard it on the radio. And then if you are an X Factor fan, Say Something is number 11 from the winner of that show, Alex and Sierra. So nothing really too exciting. And I'm hoping you guys are going to dig my top 20 list that I got going. It was, uh, it's been very difficult. I'm telling you, 2013 overall was a fantastic year in music, and there's just so much to choose from. So remember, uh, if this song was released in 2013, uh, so like if you heard it on the radio, make sure that you check out the song and make sure it was released in 2013. Even though Thrift Shop is the number one song of 2013, technically. It was released in 2012, but I'll let it slide if you want to include that on your list. It's okay because technically it blew up in 2013. Or if you bought a, uh, you know, a CD, an album, and that particular artist didn't release this, that you know, the song you love as a single, you can still put it in your list, send it to me because technically in the digital age, all these songs are singles. So it's good times. Now, this is what I have for you this week on Movie Music News. I want to do something special since we're already going to be doing the STL Awards. And next week uh, or the next episode is going to be my top 20 2013 songs and then my favorite movies. I figured I might as well do the award, which I'll also include next year in the Christmas episode. I want to do the award for Video Game of the Year. I want to play a game. Alright, so the reason I figured I would do this is because, you know, I'm, I'm a big gamer and I love to rent me some games throughout the year and the games that I really, really love, I go out and I buy because $60 is something that's very difficult uh, for me to go out and just blow on a game, especially a game I've never played before. So this award is going to my favorite game of 2013. It's also in my top three games of all time. So it's actually number two, surprisingly. Uh, And no, it does not replace Batman Arkham City. However, uh, it's very close. It's so good. Uh, This game is a game that was the first and only game that I bought based on all the opinions of my friends without ever checking out the demo 
without checking out any trailers, knowing anything about it. And the video game of the year goes to the PS3 exclusive game, The Last of Us. Funny enough, yesterday there was an article that was released on Empire uh, Magazine. It says the best movie of 2013 goes to The Last of Us and it wasn't even a movie. And it is so true. So here's the deal. Uh, I had a lot of my friends say, man, The Last, the last of Us is the, is the best game you're ever going to play in the PS3. I'm like, it's so good, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, whatever. And I uh, went to GameStop. It was sold out. And I finally went to Walmart. I'm like, look, I guess I could you know, buy it. If it sucks, I could try to trade it in. I only lose like 15 bucks. So I put it in. Here's the thing with The, with the Last of Us. This game has got to be the longest game I have ever played that has a storyline because typically games that are open world, they have a storyline and then you go off and you start doing like side missions and all that other stuff. This game itself has a super long storyline. It is so long. It's like over 20 hours long. And here's the beauty of it. When you get done, you will instantly be so sad that it's over. You will go back and start it all over again. That is a sign of a great game. So let me set this up for you. We have uh, two people in this game. Uh, We have Joel and we have Ellie. Ellie is a 14-year-old girl uh, who swears more than any other character that you know of. Now, now, this isn't your typical zombie game because it actually deals with a, a fungus uh, that we deal with today, which is uh, cordyceps, which is uh, where it takes snails and it affects their brain and takes over their body. So it's actually a mutated, uh, a mutated strain of that real life fungus that uh, it takes humans and turns them into, you know, basically cannibals. And uh, some people, if they're infected too long, turn into these big nasty monsters. But uh, this is one of those games where there's occasionally those things you deal with but you deal with people who are trying to survive so you have to take on uh people that uh are just looking for food and water and they try to kill you and stuff like that uh the beginning of the game you're introduced to your main character joel and then you get his daughter i'll tell you this man uh in the first 10 minutes uh when things start to go crazy his little girl gets murdered and like you're so devastated and all of a sudden the title comes on the screen, The Last of Us. And you're like, whoa, what a way to start a game off. And then uh, it takes its time telling a story. Uh, sometimes you have those moments where it's super fast paced. Other times you just take your time and you talk to all the different characters and you essentially have to take this uh, Ellie who is uh, infected but she's immune to the infection. So technically, she would be the person that would save the world. So the job is to take Ellie across the United States to this group of uh, people called the Fireflies, who they'll be able to take her DNA and create a cure for all the remaining humans that are left on Earth. So your mission is to travel across the United States Uh, during the different seasons spring fall winter blah 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 blah, and you're going to come in contact with people who are trying to kill you you deal with those type of zombies and uh the the fan it's fantastic voice work by uh troy baker which those of you who've gotten batman arkham origins would know he's the new joker 
And then we have Ashley Johnson, who, if you've seen Family Ties, the little girl, Redhead, she is the person who plays Ellie in this game, and she's 14 years old. The game is the highest-selling game of uh, 2013 for the PS3. Uh, the biggest one is Grand Theft Auto uh, Five. So technically, The Last of Us is number two as the highest-rated game, but for PS3, it's number one. And it actually has 42 top, uh, 42 perfect scores. So it's one of the most highest acclaimed video games in the history of the PlayStation. And it's just a fantastic game. But the best part is, is that you have to search out everywhere to find um, different things to make weapons, to make health kits, so on and so forth. But here's the cool thing. It's very, very realistic. In most games, you carry all these weapons. They're just miraculously hidden in your pants or whatever. You put everything in your book bag. If you want to take something out, you got to stop. You got to take your book bag off. You got to open it. You got to pull the weapon out. So if you have some dudes coming at you, guess what? You are dead. And the the AI, which is the artificial intelligence, it's so smart. It knows when you're weak. Uh, no guy does the same thing twice. Uh, they'll get a group of people to come after you. It's very intelligent. It's the smartest AI game I've played. Even though I love Batman Arkham City, uh, these guys are way more smarter than the guys in Arkham City. So it's a fantastic game. It's my favorite game of 2013. Uh, it became my second favorite game of all time. And uh, I've played it uh, I played it three times in a row, nonstop. So it took me like three months nonstop. Uh, I've recently picked it up again just because, it, it, I don't know, We were just, my wife and we were just like, should we play it again? Yeah, sure, why the heck not? So it is definitely uh, deserves to have the award for video game of the year. However, all you people who do not have a PlayStation 3, I feel very sorry for you that you will not get to experience this fantastic, uh, very real, the most realistic game I've ever played. Uh, it's just like it takes everything so serious and so realistic. You get shot once, boom, you're dead, whatever. It's just you have to use your mind and you get no bullets. So whatever you make, you have to make sure it will last for you to survive. So it's excellent. So there you go. That's it for movie, music, and video games. Oh, that was a long one. Okay, let's roll into the review of Home Alone 2. Hiya, pal. Deck the halls with Marv and Harry. Yes. Make their Christmas not so merry. Give them bricks and give them riches. One more Christmas in the trenches. Toss some paint cans down to greet them. Send the toolbox down to meet them. Serve the nails for Christmas dinner. Kevin is declared the winner. May I do the thinking, please? Lost in New York. You work after shave? That's kerosene. Now why would anybody soak a rope in kerosene? Merry Christmas.
I believe you. But my Tommy gun don't. Johnny, you're the only duck in my pond. Get down on your knees and tell me you love me. Baby, I'm over the moon for you. You gotta do better than that. If my love was an ocean, Lindy'd have to take two airplanes to get across it. Maybe I'm off my hinges, but I believe you. That's why I'm going to let you go. I'm going to give you to the count of three to get your lousy, lying, low-down, four-flushing carcass out my door. She's rapid. One. Two. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. And a happy new year. All right, guys. Home Alone 2. So we continue one year later uh, to the adventures of uh, good old Macaulay Culkin as uh, Kevin McAllister. So this movie... Uh, came out in 1992. Of course, it's our Christmas family comedy film, which is still written and produced by John Hughes. I think this is one of his only sequels he's ever done, and it is directed by Chris Columbus, who did the first one. Uh, Chris Columbus, as you know, uh, my favorite movie of his would be Gremlins, followed by Adventures in Babysitting and then Home Alone. And uh, this movie is, I, I could say, a perfect example of the Ghostbusters 2 syndrome. The Ghostbusters 2 syndrome is uh, what people like to call the same exact movie as part one, but done worse. Uh, I can't necessarily say that this movie has done worse, but it definitely has multiple things that it does the exact same as part one, has the same particular dialogue as part one, as I'll point out as we go on. And the question remains, does it do it uh, just as good? Uh, Is it the same? Is it better? We shall discuss as we go uh, further. So, uh, we have the same cast back for the most part. Uh, there's a little change in the actual McAllister family, but nobody you're really going to notice unless you're really looking for them. But uh, essentially, this is kind of what happens up in this movie. Uh, the night before their flight to Miami for Christmas, they decide they want to do this year. The McAllister family again gathers at the home of uh, Peter and Kate McAllister. Uh, everybody's back that you saw in the first one. Now, uh, Kevin McAllister at this point is 10 years old, and uh, he sees Florida as contradictory to Christmas because of the fact we have no Christmas trees out in Florida. So to him, Christmas is not Christmas unless you have a Christmas tree, which is perfect thinking for a 10-year-old kid. Now, early on, we have uh, a Christmas pageant, and Kevin's singing. His older brother, Buzz, complete douchebag. Uh, decides he's going to humiliate him while he's doing his singing solo. Uh, Kevin, of course, punches him. Uh, everybody drops, falls. He gets in trouble. So uh, Kevin refuses to apologize, as he should. We'll discuss this when we get there, uh, for his actions, which, a.k.a., reminds you of the beginning of part one, right? Uh, he's still angry with the family's decision to go to Florida, so he storms up to the third floor bedroom of the house. So during the night, uh, Peter, unfortunately or unknowingly, uh, resets the alarm clock and causes the family to oversleep. Uh, In the confusion and rush to get to the airport in time, uh, Kevin gets into uh, Kevin's there. You know, they're like, oh, did we forget Kevin? No, Kevin's there. Boy, let me get my ticket. Wouldn't want you to forget me again, right? So uh, Kevin gets onto a flight 
to New York City. Uh, he follows the wrong guy uh, that looks exactly like his dad onto a plane. We'll discuss how those details go into play, but essentially they go to Florida. He goes to New York City. Uh, Kevin manages to grab his dad's bag, though, which, of course, has all the money in it, credit cards, blah, 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 blah. So the family, of course, doesn't know that Kevin isn't there until they get to Florida. So Kevin, he decides once he's in New York, he's going to tour the city. Uh, he's going to go to the Plaza Hotel, which he had uh, seen a commercial for earlier in the film to set things up. And Kevin decides he's going to use his dad's credit card to get in there and uh, just basically pretend his dad's there the whole time. Now, um, also, Kevin, unlike the first movie, we had an old guy. This time we have a woman, but this time uh, she's homeless and she has pigeons all over her. Now, on Christmas Eve, Kevin tours the city in a limousine, visits a toy store uh, where he meets this really cool guy, Mr. Duncan. Very cool guy. Uh, Kevin learns that, you know, this guy loves kids so much that all the Christmas sales are going to be donated to the children's hospital, which is very cool, this guy. So Duncan also gives Kevin a pair of uh, turtle doves, one you give to your friend, one you keep. uh, You know, it's a sign of eternal friendship. It's very cool. So after encountering, of course, good old Harry and Marv, a.k.a. the Wet Bandits, Kevin is chased to the hotel. So at that point, the hotel has figured out what's going on. They know that Kevin, you know, they had the credit card reporter stolen. That's what the cops told uh, Peter to do. So if Kevin uses the credit cards, they'll know how to find them. So Kevin uh, flees the hotel. uh, And then, of course, he gets captured uh, by Harry and Marv. And like bumbling idiots, they decide to discuss their plans for robbing the toy store that night. But Kevin uh, conveniently escapes and then the McAllisters travel to New York uh, to locate the stolen credit card information they got that it's at the hotel. And that's where uh, Kate decides that she's going to go and look for Kevin because they figured he's probably going to go to um, Peter's brother's house because his house is being vacated. Uh, renovate, you know, reservation. Ah, what's that word? Renovations. Thank you. Sorry about that. Uh, renovations. And of course, this is the place that's going to be the house that we had in part one. So in Central Park, uh, Kevin comes across the pigeon lady. At first, he was really scared, but she helps him out. They start talking. Uh, they go hang out at this orchestra that's playing and just basically have a heart to heart discussion. It's very cool. We'll talk about it. And Kevin vows to the pigeon lady that uh, he'll forever be her friend. And, of course, she's like, don't make promises that you can't keep. So afterwards, Kevin uh, returns to the townhouse where he can rig everything up with all the booby traps. And then Kevin goes to the toy store because Harry and Marv have been hanging out inside. He throws a brick through the window so that way it sets the alarm off. And then it will also uh, have them chase after him so that way Kevin can take them to the townhouse he has set up. So when they get there... Um, craziness ensues, which we shall discuss. But essentially, uh, Harry and Marv, they'll catch Kevin in Central Park and they're going to try to kill him. But the pigeon lady comes in just in the nick of time to take those two out. So that way the, the cops are coming because Kevin was able to make a phone call to the cops just in time. So the cops come, arrest them. And then uh, while at the toy store, Mr. Duncan finds a note from Kevin that he put on the brick that he threw explaining what happened. Uh, and of course, he was just very happy. So uh, Kate remembers that Kevin loves Christmas trees. So of course, he knows that 
the biggest place you can go is the Rockefeller Center uh, for Kevin to see the Christmas tree. She goes there, finds them. They they do their hug just like part one. So Christmas Day, uh, Kevin wakes up with the family, and then this truckload of gifts arrives at the hotel room where uh, they're staying at. And uh, Kevin and Buzz, they make peace, and Buzz allows them to open the first present, which actually technically doesn't happen, which we'll talk about, but that's supposedly what you're supposed to think. And then Kevin goes back to Central Park uh, just to give the pigeon lady the turtle dove. Everything's cool there. And then Buzz gets the bill, uh, which is like $967 at room service. And then the movie ends. So that's essentially um, the overall story. The budget of this sucker was $20 million and it made $358 million. So obviously it was a gigantic hit. So let's discuss this movie and find out how much of this is part one all over again uh is this movie as good as the first is it worse does it fit the same let's discuss in detail here we go all right so when the movie starts off i definitely dig the home alone logo i don't know what it is with the little house but it's just something simple that i definitely dig i love the fact that chris columbus came back to direct this movie again so you kind of have a feeling knowing that he's directing again that you have uh, John Hughes writing the film again, that you're going to have the same fun uh, adventure that you had in the first one. Now, because the first movie was just, you know, kind of one of a kind, it's going to be really hard to replicate that. So what better way of doing that than to essentially copy the exact same thing you did the first time around, right? Uh, But just try to change things up a little bit. You know, that's kind of the thing that you're going to see throughout this movie, is wow that happened in part one that happened in part one there's one thing in this movie that just irritates me to no end in this film that it completely sucks compared to part one uh we'll get there when we get there but overall you know it it just it has the same beats pretty much as part one as we continue to go through this film now let's talk about the talk boy that kevin has i definitely like the talk boy i think it's a cool concept there's just a lot of things that are convenient i mean how convenient was it that he's sitting there on the bed just happens to be recording the television of the plaza hotel the same thing he's going to need uh later on in the film but man it's in crystal clear sound And we all know tape recorders did not have crystal clear sound. You always had that white noise in the background. And how is it he's able to record something and hit rewind and exactly get to the moment in the tape? It's like this kid is perfect. Of course, he did this in part one when he was messing with the pizza guy and messing uh, in the kitchen with the fireworks. He's just able to rewind tape and take it exactly where the audio needs to be for that moment in time. Now, this is part of the movie that you have to give suspension of disbelief and most people aren't going to have a problem with it it's more the audio junkies like myself uh that are going to you know kind of be annoyed at this which it annoyed me in the first one but the first one had so many awesome things going for it i i let it slide and again i let the talk boy slide it's just another thing that occurs in this film that happened as in part one just the convenience of being able to rewind the tape and play it exactly the way that you need it to be but overall the talk boy itself is very cool i like the concept and i wish i had one as a kid but i swear they were very expensive i could never get my hands on one because it was so doggone expensive now there's definitely a big screw up uh in this scene where uh we have uncle frank taking a shower kevin comes in 
And Uncle Frank is like almost done singing the song. And we see Kevin pull out the talk boy and hit record. But later on in the film, when he tries to use that against the hotel staff, you have the exact moment of when he walks in to the shower of when Uncle Frank is singing. It was like, seriously, guys, you guys screwed the editing up so bad on that one. You should have had Kevin had the talk boy in his hand the whole time when he walks in instead of like, oh, let me record Uncle Frank and the song is over and then use it later. It was a clear uh, screw up. But, you know, is it really going to knock any stars off of a movie? No, it's just one of those little uh, nitpicks, I guess you can say that. I mean, maybe the first time around you watch it, you're not going to notice. But it's just it's clear as day to me at this point in time of just like, wow, you guys blew that one. Now, here's something a little bit different that they do in this one that they uh, that's different than part one. Uh, This is where Kevin is singing, you know, doing a solo, which, by the way, if this is Macaulay Culkin actually singing, kid's got a great voice. In the first movie, Kevin is basically a little turd. Uh, He kind of deserved to be left home alone, if you will. This time around, we have Kevin who his only complaint is the fact of he doesn't get his Christmas trees for Christmas. No big deal. Okay. Uh, I mean, he's a little of a bit of a smart ass with the whole, yes, you know, and then rewinds the tape. Yes, you know, but overall, Kevin is just, he's not being a total turd, you know. We get the solo. He sings really good. And we have Buzz, who's put in the thing behind his ears. And then he does, like, the, the drumming on top of his head. I mean, Buzz has gone beyond douchebag than he has in part one. I mean, for the most part, everybody's, like, laughing at this. In today's school, man, nobody would put up with this, man. People be, like, jacking this guy outside of school for trying to screw up a, a Christmas assembly, if you will. But the thing is, is that when he gets home... Man, the family is all over Kevin, and it wasn't even Kevin's fault. It was Buzz being that way. He hits him. Yeah, he punched Buzz, and everybody went falling. But Kevin, this time around, has every bit of right to say what he says to the family. You know, the comment to Uncle Frank about being a cheap steak, and just like, no, Buzz humiliated me just going off. Unlike part one, this is well-deserved and said very well by Kevin in a very is respectful as you can be when you're pissed off is, is I guess is the best way you can explain it. So that's something they do a little bit different than part one, but there's something I got to get out right now. Something that bothered me the whole entire movie. I do not like the mom whatsoever in this movie. You know, I love me some Catherine O'Hara. She's great. She's a great actress. And don't get me wrong. Her acting is great. Just as good as it was in the first one. But her character of Kate is completely different than it was in the first one. Yeah, she has the fight with Kevin in the beginning. But man, that woman will go tooth and nail to go save her son, right? Well, like the first half of the movie, it's kind of like, oh, Buzz. That was nice. And you just roll your eyes. And then, well, you got your wish last year. Maybe what happened this year. And then, like, when they're talking to the cops, she's just, like, laughing and, like, making jokes about leaving Kevin. And it's not until, like, towards the end of the movie where she decides, oh, now I want to be the mom I was in part one and look for my son. That pissed me off to no end in this movie. I cannot stand Kate 
she's terrible in this movie just completely different character yes when she finally says the line no mugger will mess with me okay cool now i have the cape back that i have in part one but for like the first like almost what uh 90 percent of the movie i don't like her it's just it's so different than she was in part one so that's one thing home alone 2 does differently and worse than they did in part one so that's one knock against home alone 2 is the fact of kate is not like her character in part one now of course something we have that's just like part one is the they're they're running late and uh i love it they wake up we did it again which is very cool however very convenient now, explain this to me okay i get the fact that he unlock you know he unplugs the clock and the clocks reset themselves right which makes perfect sense why an alarm wouldn't go off and sets everything up for later on in the film. However, why is it nobody notices that the clocks are all jacked up in the house? I don't get it. Is You mean to tell me in this huge house, and we've established how big this house is from the first movie. You mean to tell me this is the only clock in the house is the clock in their room? I don't get it. Now, if you want to say that every clock in the house is one of those wall clocks and this is the only digital clock in the house that has an alarm, I can buy that. Now, have they established this? No, they haven't. If I'm just supposed to give the movie that, sure, why not? It just seems like let's if there was any other digital clock in the house, somebody would notice it, especially the amount of hours that go by before the alarm's supposed to go off for the next morning. You know, it made sense in part one. We had uh, power failure and the clocks got jacked up. Made perfect sense. This one just seems too convenient to work out. You know, it was kind of like, well, we can't have a storm take it out, so let's just have some stupid air. But it just, I don't know. It, I have a little bit of a problem with it, but it, I, I need it to be there to get the things moving. So I guess I'll give it to you. All right. So let's talk about the security of this airport. All right. Now, clearly, we're dealing with the 90s here because this would not fly in today's world. But it's definitely fun to look at. It puts it in a time capsule because technically this really could have happened back in the 90s. Uh, I like the fact of we had Kevin, who's just looking for batteries, explains perfectly how he gets the bag. Convenient, but if it's, this conveniency works way better for me than the past conveniences at this point. Uh, how he's able to get the bag full of money and the credit cards, and uh, he simply puts his head down long enough to look for the batteries to lose track of his dad. Would make perfect sense. A kid would kind of think, oh, I'll find my parents, and you have a guy who's wearing the same coat as his dad. This actually works very good for me, the fact of how they get separated, because it's obviously we didn't have this in part one, so it's something new uh, for the movie, and it works. It's a very good scene. And, uh, of course, Kevin runs into the woman and he's unable to find his ticket, which clearly had he given the ticket, there's no way he would have gotten on this plane. There's no way we would have had the movie. And the fact that the guy says, you know, book him, make sure he finds his family and then Merry Christmas, you know, because she's in a rush. He's in a rush. You know, security back then really wasn't all that big of a deal, I guess. So overall, I really dig the scene on how Kevin gets lost and just the whole, yeah, that's my dad over there. Okay, pick a seat, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it was very good times. Now, of course, I love the cameo by Ali Sheedy, which is very cool. Of course, we all know Ali Sheedy was in The Breakfast Club, John Hughes' film. It's very cool. Kevin's like, yikes, I did it again. And, of course, we have the same thing that we have in part one. You know, I made my family disappear. 
I'm in New York. You know, my family's in Florida. I'm in New York. He looks at the camera and puts his eyebrows up. And then we get a montage of Kevin, uh, cr- you know, creating chaos in the house. And this time he's kind of creating chaos in uh, in New York. However, this time it's a little bit different. He's not creating chaos. He's just in a cab. And I love the song that they're playing here. Clearly, you've heard it prior to this review, which is uh, All Alone on Christmas. Fantastic song. I really, really love this song. It's a it's a 10 out of 10. It's a, it's a great, beautiful Christmas song. It's a great montage, and it's really cool. And one thing is you get a lot of Kevin in this movie. And, yeah, you had Kevin in number one, but you had, you know, the family and stuff. The family is barely in this movie there's like three scenes of the family and that's it they're done you don't see them anymore in this film and in fact there's two other people in this film who get the shaft who don't really get any screen time and that's joe pesci and mr uh daniel stern harry and marv unlike the first movie these guys are barely in the film did you guys even notice that we get them in the truck uh talking about fish then uh, you kind of see him on the street here and there. Then you see him in the toy store hiding out. And then really it's the grab Kevin, chase him through the park, and then you get the ending and that's it. It's like there was way more scenes of those guys in part one than they were in this one. Maybe I'm wrong. It just feels that way and a lot of it has to do with the hotel which might i add the hotel stuff is my favorite stuff of the movie it's fantastic i love tim curry tim curry should have been the joker uh this guy's fantastic my favorite scene of course is with the grinch smiling and you see tim curry smiling looking just like the grinch it's great rob schneider is fantastic that's my favorite stuff of this movie is all the hotel stuff so it kind of makes sense that marvin harry would kind of take a back seat really but that's just one thing i noticed is that the family takes a back seat harry and marv take a back seat and uh and Catherine is a completely different character the majority of the film. So those are kind of the big three differences that you get from the first movie. And then the rest of the movie is pretty much spot on uh, repeat of the first one. And uh, it pretty much does it just as good as the first one does. You know, when uh, Kevin's in New York, you know, during the montage, uh, you know, you see the Twin Towers. Kevin is on the ground staring up at the Twin Towers. And I'm telling you, man. That was kind of like, whoa, you know, it's when you get those moments in films and you see the Twin Towers, especially up close, you kind of get like a wow, you know, kind of an awe feeling of like, wow, you guys have no idea what's going to be happening a couple of years from now, you know, and it's just, wow, it, it really, I, I'm, of course, I'm not in New York. I'm not sure how somebody who would have gone through that experience would feel having, you know, just say they throw this in, see the Twin Towers. How is somebody going to react? to uh, a movie that has that you know spider-man the sam Raimi one had uh the twin towers and spider-man's eye on the movie poster and they got rid of all those so I, I every time i see that especially in this movie the up close of the twin towers how does somebody react to something like that you know for me it's just kind of like i'm just kind of in awe of like wow it's like look how beautiful those look and it's so so tragic of what's going to happen a couple years later you know but it's definitely a beautiful shot of the twin towers of kevin just looking up just the lighting is just fantastic and it's uh one of the best uh in film 
parts of seeing the Twin Towers that I was just like, wow, that looks beautiful. Now, in the uh, first movie, we had Kate on the phone with the cops, all like, dude, you need to go to my son's house. And she's all just pissed off. She's nervous. She's anxious. And then we get the same cop scene, but she is completely cool, calm, collective, making jokes about, hey, we never forget our luggage, blah, 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 blah. I hate this scene. Not this. I should put it this way. It, it's like I I actually dig the scene. I think it's kind of funny, but for the character, I hate it because it, it's just like, wow, how did you go from being this caring, considerate mom to like, who cares? We lost her son. Big deal. Oh, man, it's so irritating. All right. So let's talk about our pigeon lady uh, who's very, very cool. Uh, you know, in the first one, we had the old guy who Kevin was very scared of. And this one, of course, Kevin's scared of her. And then uh, they have a heart-to-heart moment, you know. But I find the heart-to-heart moment that Kevin will have with her later in the film to be more impactful than the one we got in part one. But overall, uh, she looks the part. She definitely looks scary. Uh, But, you know, overall, though, I really love her character. It's definitely different enough to be a sequel. But it's the same reminiscent kind of character that we had in part one. Uh, Do I like her better than the old guy? You know, I say that they're both, they both rank the same. I like them both the same, but I think the scene that she'll have later on with Kevin uh, up during the orchestra is better than the one that Kevin had with the old guy in the church. All right, so let's talk about the hotel, the beginning of it. I do love the fact of there's that shot of uh, Kevin looking for the hotel and there's that statue that's pointing towards the hotel and you can see a faraway shot of Kevin looking at the Uh, statue and then just going and looking at the hotel you know that was really cool can we talk about conveniency here again kevin sits there and calls the girl on the phone you know slows the tape recorder down so it sounds like he's an adult but yet he has all the right answers for all the right questions she's going to ask but clearly I don't know. It's way too convenient for me. You know, again, there's convenience in the first one, but this one is way over the top with conveniency. I'm telling you, you know, the first time around, the only conveniency I liked was the, the one with the, uh, bag and money and cards. I like that conveniency, but this one was like, okay, how did that lady should have said something that would have like, kind of tripped up Kevin a little bit that would have been cool that would have been a nice change up because Kevin always had all the right gadgets always the right answers for all the right questions in the first one wouldn't it have been cool if she would have just asked him a question and he didn't have recorded and he would have had to like maybe play the same thing over again and she'd be like what what are you talking about that would have been kind of a cool change of like Kevin doesn't know everything you know but again it's a little thing it's a little scene it sets things up to go to a hotel but that's just the one uh, of the convenience scenes that I wish they could have changed up a little bit but overall when we get to the hotel I dig me some uh some Tim Curry Tim Curry he's awesome I love this guy I've always loved this guy ever since I saw him in Clue it's cool we get a Donald Trump uh cameo where Kevin doesn't even know who this guy is we have Rob Schneider who's great he's funny in this one always counting his tips always wanting a tip which is great I love all the hotel stuff it's new it's nothing we had in the first one uh, it's definitely Kevin just having a, a fun time uh, eating all that food that we kind of got uh, in the first time around when he's like, ooh, uh, I made my family disappear. And then he starts to eat all the food and stuff. And then we get the return 
of the classic movie Angels with Even More Filthier Souls. If you remember my story from Home Alone 1, I actually thought this was a legitimate movie and I went looking for it and I couldn't find it anywhere and then found that it was only made for the movie. So, of course, I love the fact that they do the same joke again with pretty much the same lines, but these lines are so much better than the first time around, especially about, I'm going to give you to the count of three to get your lousy lion low down four flushing carcass out my door. Oh, that is my favorite line, uh, probably from the whole entire movie for sure, but I love it. It's great. And uh, man, so good. I wish that guy would really make that movie. I want to see it because that looks like one badass gangster flick. Don't you agree? But some of the hotel jokes I really dig, of course, is the Rob Schneider tip joke where Kevin gives him gum instead. And then later on, he'll uh, say, oh, you know, he's like, I got plenty of tip left over. Oh, okay. And puts all the money away. Every time I hear Jingle Bell Rock, I think a lethal weapon in the beginning where she Amanda throws herself off the balcony and kills herself. Every time I hear Jingle Bell Rock, I love that. I used to love that song. Now all I think of is lethal weapon, but it's cool hearing that being played. You know, it's just, I don't think so. You know, when he's checking into the hotel, doing the same line as he did in the grocery store, ma'am, you know, I'm nine years old, you know, do you, you know, I don't think so. And then he'll do the same thing to the receptionist at the hotel. So that works well. It works just as well as it did in the first movie. And the other joke that I really dig is the, of course, the shower scene, you know, when Tim Curry comes in and we have the convenient uh, Uncle Frank recording and he uses the same exact tools that he did when Harry and Marv were going by the house and you had Michael Jordan up on the train and you had Kevin moving all the pencils around to move guys around and this time we have Dumbo uh, moving around just the same way that Kevin did before so I dig it again it's the same exact scene done a little bit differently where he's got to fake somebody out uh, but it was really cool I, I thought it was funny even though that recording never should have worked technically. It was still a very funny scene and having Tim Curry run out and hit his uh, shin was hilarious. And then coming down and Kevin just like, oh, you blew it, man. Would you know you want to have, would you want to see the face of the guy who tried to see you naked? You know, no, of course not. You know, it, it works perfectly. And then you got to love the conveniency of that pizza being super hot. What pizza is ever that hot where it's smoking like that? That never happens. I'm sorry. At least where I live, pizza is never that hot. I'm telling you. Now, uh, visually, my favorite shot of the whole entire film is where, um, you have Kate looking out the window. You have Kevin looking out the window. You know, Merry Christmas, Mom. Merry Christmas, Kevin. And it's a split screen of those two with the Christmas tree. It's a beautiful shot. Uh, it's my favorite scene with Kate, even though, at, you know, up at this point, she doesn't care about Kevin. <laughs> but uh, in this scene, though, she's the Kate of part one. And it's fantastic the way she says, you know, Merry Christmas, Kevin. Merry Christmas, Mom. It's just, it's beautiful. It's my favorite shot of the whole entire film. It's a beautiful, done, beautifully lit, just perfect in every way. I love it. It's fantastic. Now, do you remember our two villains we had in the first movie, Harry and Marv? Oh, yeah. Those guys are in this movie, too. Uh, we get the sticky bandits, you know. We kind of got a little bit of that where, uh, where Harry 
is all is it Harry that was doing that or uh, no Marv? Marv is the one that's grabbing people uh, with the sticky fingers, grabbing the scarf and the hats and stuff. I thought that was pretty cool. I actually thought that was a funny scene. Uh, and then of course we don't see them like after that, and we get to Mister Duncan. Now Mister Duncan is a super nice guy, very likable, very lovable. In fact. Very cool. I love the toy store. Just this scene is great. Just Kevin like, man, you know, I really shouldn't spend this money. But Mr. Duncan just talking about all the cash he's going to give to the hospital, which I mean, obviously will set up later on in the film, but it's not done in a convenient way like it's been going on at this point in time. But uh, he's just overall, he's very cool. The explanation of the turtle doves is very awesome. Giving those to Kevin was very cool. So Mr. Duncan, man, he's a two thumbs up kind of character. You don't get him very much, but the scenes that you get him in, very impactful, good stuff. And then we get my favorite scene of the whole entire movie. Now, if you remember, I know it's been a year, so let me refresh your memory. My favorite scene from Home Alone was the tarantula on Daniel Stern's face, a.k.a. Marv. And that scream that he does is fantastic. I still laugh hysterically at this. Oh, no matter what, I will always laugh at that scene just as hard as I did the first time. So this time around, the guys come out and they're like, there's Kevin, you know, and and then you have uh, Harry be like, hiya, pal. And when he turns around and looks up and then he's about ready to have Marv put his hand on his face, Kevin does the loudest scream I have ever heard. And it's almost as reminiscent to the Daniel Stern one. It's my favorite scene, just the overall scream and them looking around and then he takes off. It's my favorite scene of the film, hands down. I love that scream, the shot. Overall, it's just great. It's hilarious every time. It's a really fun scene, him trying to escape, uh, grabs the guy's stuff off the street. They're stupid enough to not look down and trip. It's just an overall fun scene. I dig it. But there is only one dumb thing that happens in that is uh, when he grabs the present, uh, when we have Marv grab the present, when he clearly couldn't take anything off his hands before, but this time he's able to shake it and just throw it off his hand it was a little bit kind of like uh that doesn't work because you've set up that when you put something on your hand you can't take it off you know so that was a little bit dumb but in the moment you really kind of forget about that and i'm okay with it but it was just something that i'm like okay guys you kind of blew it a little bit there but i'll still give it to you now there is one unanswered question that i do have which is uh you know kevin's coming back to the hotel you know, he's been busted and Tim Curry gets a hold of his cash. You know, when he pulls it out, he's like, your stolen credit card. And he has the, you know, the cash in his hand. Whatever happens to the envelope? Because you never see him give the envelope back to the parents when they show up at the hotel. So I've always wondered, what the heck does he do with that? Because clearly you could just use that towards the bill that we get at the end of the movie. But what's up with that? What did he do with that cash that was sitting in that envelope? I've always wondered that. But again, it's no big deal. But it was just one of those unanswered questions that I had. Now, hands down, my favorite hotel scene is when you know Kevin gets the video ready for the guys. And uh, hold it right there, you know, and he, he starts to go down the names of all the people that he's been smooching. You got to love the fact when he gets the cliff, which clearly the first time you watch this movie, I could go on forever, baby. You know, he says that line immediately after he says cliff. However, during this scene, when he's like cliff, 
you don't hear anything except everybody just looking at Cliff and then Cliff being like, oh, no, no, no. And then he's like, I could go on forever, baby. So clearly there's like a 10 second pause in the video. And I don't know if Kevin purposely paused it or if it's just a random screw up in the movie. It's funny. I'm just saying, what's up with that, guys? Again, you screwed up there. But it's okay. It's hilarious. I actually was hoping for, like, fireworks again. But, you know, it's okay. We didn't get it. We don't want to copy exactly everything we had in the first one. But, of course, this is exactly the same thing we had before. Where we had, you know, Mr. Um, Marv coming up trying to get in the kitchen. And Kevin had to use the video to trick him and stuff like that. So, it's really cool. You know, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. And a Happy New Year. I love it. It's great. This video is a billion times better than the video in the first one. So I could watch this scene over and over and over and over again just because I love this guy so much. So good times. I love it. It's fantastic. Now, of course, we wouldn't have a bumbling idiot scene if we didn't have Harry and Marv or more like Marv telling Kevin the plan of where they're going to attack and all this and that because in the first one you know Kevin was just eavesdropping so it made perfect sense it wasn't the two of them were trying to tell Kevin hey we're gonna break into your house tonight it was just Kevin eavesdropping this time around they gotta tell Kevin what they're gonna be doing what they're gonna be planning because in all reality they are in New York how are you supposed to know what they're gonna be doing so they gotta make it work and it would make sense because these two are stupid more like Marv is stupid so it's kind of okay for the fact that he's telling Kevin what they're planning on doing I can accept that because it's in their character and this conveniency of the story uh, works for me like Kevin's bad you know Kevin's dad's bad conveniency works for me versus the other convenience scenes are kind of like okay that was a little bit you know too convenient if you will so I'm okay with it and I especially love him pinching the girl's butt and she turned around that uh, he had previously kind of tried to woo earlier and he ends up getting punched in the face which is fantastic I love it. It was great. Now, there is one scene that they do very different than they did in part one. Now, in this movie, of course, we have the hotel, which is completely different than part one. But one thing they do is they go a little bit dark in this movie. Uh, you know, not like the first one didn't have its dark moments, but they were more like black humor. This one is actually dark where, you know, after Kevin escapes, uh, he starts to go down the bad side of town and almost gets picked up by prostitutes and you have the other guy you know watch a kid you know just kind of the scary uh people that you would come in contact with possibly in new york and i thought that was a nice touch you know it kind of up the stakes a little bit making it a little bit more darker than it was the first time around and granted it's just a simple scene doesn't last very long but i did uh notice that it's something that we didn't have in the first one that they decided to do in this one i thought that was pretty cool now when kevin and the pigeon lady you know he's screaming she helps him and he realizes yeah you know i'm sorry about being a jerk and stuff but he's he offers to buy her warm you know hot hot chocolate dude you have no money how are you going to buy her hot chocolate? That doesn't make any sense. Your money was stolen at the hotel. Do you have money just hanging around your your bill, you know, in your pocket or what? You know, and clearly they obviously don't go anywhere. They end up going to the orchestra and stuff like that. But again, I've already talked about this scene, how much I really dig it. I really enjoy it. And it's really cool how it kind of leaves on a bad note when he's just like, you know, I won't ever forget you. And she's just like, don't make a promise you can't keep. And you're kind of like, wow, is that really the end of it? You know? And because obviously you don't really see her again for quite a while, but I thought that was pretty cool. They didn't really end it on a happy note, unlike in the first 
one, it was like, you know, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. You know, this one's like, yeah, don't make promises you can't keep, kid. See you later. You know, I thought that was actually a nice change. And, I, you know, emotional-wise, this is much better uh, what they're talking about, better dialogue, just a better scene overall than we had in the church in the first movie. All right. Now, one thing I definitely like that they changed that they didn't do in the first one. Kevin has three hours to do a setup this time. In the first movie, he has like 15 minutes. It's ridiculous. I, I swear it was like 15 minutes. For, forgive me if I'm getting that wrong, but I swear in the first one, he did not have much time to set up his house. This time he has three hours. You know, it was like, oh, it's almost nine o'clock. I need to go set up my house. And he does all this stuff. But here he has three full hours to do all this crap. And it makes perfect logical sense. It's excellent. Now, what's even better, though, is we get the scene of Kate and Kevin McAllister at the hotel. And Kate smacks Tim Curry in the face. Finally, I get my Kate back. This is the moment in the film where we finally get the Kate of the first film back slaps him in the face starts talking to kevin about how no mugger or murderer will mess with me and then she gets on the hunt to find kevin so finally i have her back it's excellent it's good times and then we roll into the big uh the big scene of the movie which is all the booby traps so here's the thing there's two kinds of people that watch this film there are the kind of people that watch this as though this is over the top cartoon or they get extremely pissed off watching this scene because uh, logically it makes no sense. It's way over the top. Arguably, all the crap that happened in the first movie, they they legitimately could live, walk, all that stuff that happens to them. In this one, in the first scene, dead, okay? If you get a brick smashed to your face, I don't care how funny it is. And I, granted, the first time I watched this scene, I was a kid and I peed my pants. Don't tell nobody this because I laughed so hard. But when you get a brick smashed in your face, let alone from that height, you are a dead man. Let alone three bricks. I'm sorry. You have a broken skull, a broken nose, broken eye sockets, probably a few broken teeth. There's no way that you are getting up from this. So clearly, we've now stepped into a cartoon. So with that being said, if you can accept the fact that we are now over the top, stepping into ridiculous territory and multiple deaths, but nobody dies, then you are going to have one fun time during this sequence. Now, I do want to say before we get into the actual booby traps themselves, there was a convenient scene, however, it works for me, where uh, where Kate shows up at the house. Had she shown up like a couple seconds later, she would have ran into Kevin, and then who knows what would have happened. The movie would be completely different. Harry and Marv would ended up murdering her and Kevin and the movie would be over, I guess. So that conveniency was okay for the fact of she shows up, she jumps back in the cab and here comes Kevin around the corner because clearly either the movie would have ended or we would have had a completely different ending to this film. So I was totally okay with that conveniency. Now, let's talk through all of these booby traps that the guys go through and let's just talk about how ridiculous and absurd they are. So as I mentioned before, we have the brick scene that Marv gets 
in the face three times. Oh my gosh, crazy. Then we get the hilarious staple gun scene. So we get a shot in the ass, shot in the nuts, and then a shot in the nose. Clearly. Oh man. I'm not saying you're going to die from that, but you're so lucky that it did not hit your eye. So, okay, so this one you could live from. Uh, the, la- the ladder slip was very cool, although what's up with the sound effects there? That was very weird with the with the ladder slip. It was clearly they threw in the, the comical cartoon sound, so that way it was like, oh, okay, guys, we're just having some fun here. Then we get the big 100-pound bag that falls down on top of Marv. No way you're going to live from that. I'm sorry. Then we have uh, the kid. The kid always wins against two idiots. That was actually an hilarious line. I loved it. Then you got to love the third hit uh, of the cans, you know, where you have the, uh, you know, oh, remember last year, you know, he throws the first paint can, miss, they fake it. The second one, oh, right in the schnoz. It's okay. I'll get him, which is real funny. And then you get the big pipe to the face, which clearly would have broke uh, your nose, maybe break your face. But they they get hit in the face. They fall all the way down. And then uh, he cuts the, the cord and then it falls on top of him. So it was very funny. Now, don't get me wrong. All this stuff is 100% funny. This is hilarious slapstick Three Stooge style comedy but it's way over the top compared to part one it's ridiculous sure and clearly marv would have been dead from the first brick to his face but you know again moving forward uh then you gotta love the tools on top of the head clearly that you know those tools on top of uh harry's head would have killed that guy man i'm sorry i get hit with one of those tools i'll probably be unconscious unconscious in the hospital let alone having all those tools fall on top of my head i do love the the callback line which is uh i'm over here you big horse's ass which is just the same line we had in the first one uh of course we hit now prior to this uh we had marv was it was it marv uh yeah it was marv where he touches uh the water uh, the water faucet, and then he turns into a skeleton, which is the one problem I had with plane trains and automobiles, which was just way over the top. At that point in time, it was clearly the filmmaker saying, hey, we're just screwing around. None of this is makes sense. It's just for laughs. Go with it. You know, This is the, kind of the turning point for people of like, okay, I'm going to go along with it or no, I'm done. Now, uh, at the end, of course, we get the same thing we had in part one where Kevin gets caught and, you know, they, he gets caught in the house and they're like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bite off all your little fingers. I'm going to smash your face with an iron. Then the old guy comes to the rescue and punches him in the face with the shovel. So we have the same thing here. He gets caught. Uh, the pigeon lady shows up and it's actually the same scream we had with the spider. Uh, Daniel Stern will do again with all the pigeons on top of him, which is hilarious. Uh, again, it's probably my second favorite scene is just him screaming like that, which is great. They get arrested and you have Marv trying to spell out sticky bandits and he can't do it. I mean, if they weren't going to kill Kevin the first time around, they're definitely going to do it this time around when they get out of jail. Now, of course, I love the good old callback to Adventures and Babysitting. Uh, where we have, uh, you know, Kate goes up to the cop 
And the guy that's talking to her is from Adventures of Babysitting. He was one of the guys that was chasing the kids who eventually will end up on outside the building and just stay there the whole entire time, uh, which is excellent. But I, I love the reunion. Very cool. Uh, the Christmas tree, them hugging, it's great. And it's funny, you don't get a reunion like you did in the first one. Kevin just wakes up to the family, which I thought was a nice twist. That was a very cool change. Now, there's kind of a screw-up here, uh, but it's cool, though. I, I can go along with it. You know, they all get downstairs, and uh, Buzz is trying to say, all right, everybody, you know, basically, this is Kevin's fault, but because it's his fault, we get all these cool presents, we're all together, so Kevin should open the first present, which was actually very sincere, very cool. It was the, probably the only time that you're going to like uh, Buzz in this, but he says Kevin should be able to open the first present and and Buzz is the first one to start opening the present. Kevin never gets to do it. And it's not really a mistake. It's just, it's definitely in Buzz's character to be all like, yeah, why don't you open the first present? Then he's the one that ends up doing it and stuff. But I love it how Kevin just looks outside and goes to the pigeon lady, gives her the turtle doves, which is very cool. She's like kind of shocked, almost wants to cry. They give a nice hug, very sweet moment. Then of course you had the same old uh, scene you had at the end about Kevin, what'd you do to my room? And then you find out about the uh, room service fee, which was really, really cool. All right. Now in regards to my rating, and I know it sounds like I've been really hard on this movie and I'm doing a lot of nitpicking here and there and stuff, but in all reality, I really do love this movie. You know, the first movie, uh, I gave five stars. Now, if you want my reasons behind it, you'll have to go back and listen. I'm not going to repeat that, but this one, I give a full star down. I give it four solid stars. I've seen this movie, I won't say as much as the first one. I've probably, you know, I've seen the first one like 50 times. I've probably seen this one like 25 times. I definitely love it. It's very reminiscent of the first movie. And in most people's eyes, you know, I, you know, they hate Ghostbusters 2, love Ghostbusters 1. I love Ghostbusters 2 more than most people, but I could definitely see where they're like, it tried to be part one and failed in all those different areas. But this one tried to be part one. And for the most part, in 95% of those areas succeeded uh, in trying to replicate the first movie. Uh, other times were bad. You know, I pointed out those three big differences uh, from the first movie that just didn't work. But like I said, they for most people, they may not even bother them. But I give it a full four stars, full salad, 100%. It's just one step below the first movie. It's a perfect one-two punch. It's a fantastic series if you're watching one and two and just forget three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, or however many there are. So uh, I definitely enjoy this movie. I love it, and I will continue to watch it uh, numerous times uh, for numerous uh, Christmases, and I can watch it any time of the year. It doesn't have to be Christmas, but it's just a, it's a fantastic sequel. It's one of those that uh, live up to the original. It doesn't surpass it like Lethal Weapon 2 would surpass Lethal Weapon. It doesn't surpass, but it lives up to the original. And that's all you can ask for in a sequel. So there you go, guys. That's it. That's the end of the review. I hope you dug it. So let's go ahead and get into emails and let's hear what the STL Nation had to say.
All right, guys. So for this episode, we got one email, which is okay because after this, we're going to do the awards. So it kind of works out. And of course, it's time traveling. Peter, here's what he had to say. Thank you for writing in, sir. Greetings, Masunis and the STL Nation. Here we are to conclude the Home Alone series with the last installment that had the one and the only Macaulay Culkin. This sequel also brought back all the original cast with some new additions and more importantly, Chris, Chris Columbus as a director and John Hughes' writer. Now, technically, that's incorrect. Uh, for the family itself, we are missing one character, uh, which the character that we are missing in this one the uh, older sister, which is uh, Kristen Minster as Heather. Uh, she's in the first one, if you remember. She does all the head counting in the first movie. She's also in Cool as Ice. Jameson will know that. Uh, she was not in this movie. If you pay attention, you will not see her uh, with all the other families. So technically, that's a little bit off, but that's okay, sir. No big deal. I thoroughly enjoyed this just as much as the first one, if not slightly more. Obviously, with sequels, you want to go bigger, funner, and just more of everything. This one brings us to New York, and I think that's why I like it more. It gives us scenes at the hotel, the park, the skating rink, and the toy store. It also got sillier with some of the jokes and one-liners, mostly coming from Marv, who is played by Daniel Stern. I don't think there was a much difference in Joe Pesci's character of Harry at all which is true i really liked the addition of rob schneider who would up and was up and coming at the time and i really think they got tim curry to play the concierge just because he looks like the grinch his scenes are all pretty funny especially when he gets slapped by kate later in the movie one thing that bugged me was when kevin calls in with the pre-recorded message to make reservations for a room i always wonder what if the receptionist asked the question right tell me about it i just worked it just worked a little too well that's part of the conveniency of home alone 2 uh, I actually used I used to have the talk boy as well. Moving on. Instead of the old man, we have a pigeon lady in the park. Thought it was a decent story. I think they could have done without it. I don't know, man. It definitely fits for me. The only thing that served a purpose that uh, she tells Kevin is since it's Christmas Eve, good deeds count extra, and it gives him the idea to foil the web bandits. I mean, sticky bandits plan to rob the toy store. But then she does save him later from them. Uh, it's not a perfect movie, but it's really fun one, and I can watch it any time of the day. Now, just to clarify, all the over-the-top crazy cartoonness, I laugh at everything. I'm just, I was just pointing out about how either you go with it or you don't. I go with it, but you also have to point out about how it's now a cartoon at that point. So, uh, just about everything at the hotel was funny. I like how Kevin asked Donald Trump for directions and didn't even know who he was. It was funny because he's a kid and wouldn't know someone like him. Also, when the hotel staff go into Kevin's room and he plays the old gangster film and they all get on their knees to confess their love to Johnny, and then the booby traps. It's not a home alone movie without some booby traps. A lot of them were variations of the ones from the first movie and again they just try to go bigger with it the movie is definitely beloved amongst a lot of people i think it's dumb that they even came out with three four and five which is true uh, this movie is a product of its time and would not work today. I agree with you 100%. Especially now that there are cell phones and it's easier to get a hold of a kid. Imagine this short remake. Kevin wakes up. No one's home. He gets his cell and texts his mom, you left me home alone. Laugh out loud. And then she replies, oh my God, be right back. 
Uh, the end. Uh, these people will have to be more clever. As I understand it, part four brings Kevin back to the main baddie is Marv. Not only do I hate it when they replace the character with a new actor, but most of the characters from the first two movies, what were they smoking? Well, enough of my rant. Overall, this is a four and a half stars. I wasn't around to write in for the first one, but I'll give that one four and a half as well. Uh, one uh, one was a better movie, and I think two was more fun, but I still love them both, which I can agree with that 100%, sir. I wish everyone a Merry Christmas, and until then, I'll be back. Time traveling, Peter. So thanks again, Peter, for writing in, sir. Always a good time to hear what you have to say. And that's it, guys, for emails. Now let's go ahead and roll into the STL Awards. Now, I've went ahead and I renamed this, which uh, is actually a more suitable name, and since... All these people that I'm going to be mentioning are kind of the uh, on the front line of the show. They're the front line fans. We're going to call this segment of uh, every Christmas episode the annual STL Frontline Awards. Let's get into it. All right, so I've been doing this whole awards thing for about two years now. I know some people may think it's a little bit dopey, kind of dumb, but it's a way for me just to to give a, a shout out or a big thank you to all the people who are listening to this show because not everybody writes in. Um, there's I know how many listeners I have and a lot of them uh, I still have not heard from to this day. So the people that I want to mention today are ones that have specifically uh, go above and beyond for the show in their own way. Uh, I like to say that the STL Nation is one big uh, or one small uh, dysfunctional family that we all need each other in. And uh, it's definitely a way of just to say thank you to everybody who stuck with me uh, for this show and just let you know how much I really care and appreciate everything that you do for me and all the support that you guys show. And it makes me want to continue on doing this show uh, based on everything. So that's what this award show is all about. Now, if uh, your name has been missed or you want to get on this list for next year, then f- go ahead and join the STL Nation. You know, do some different things. You know, everybody that is getting uh, what you're being named for doesn't mean you don't do other things outside of that. It's just the thing that you stand out the most for, which is what I want to recognize you uh, in this award ceremony. So let's start off with uh, our most creative STL member uh, for 2013. And that would definitely go to Anthony the Epic Emailer. So Anthony the Epic Emailer uh, always has interesting and uh, really good things to say in his emails, but his biggest creativeness comes from all of his pictures. Uh, he's he randomly will just create pictures 
uh, in STL Nation or on the Facebook page uh, of just funny things to make people laugh, things that are related to the podcast, related to certain episodes. He made a really cool picture uh, for the 100th episode. And one thing that Anthony always does is he always has a picture for any situation that you have or you are in. It's like you could post something and within like, 10 seconds he has a picture for it it's ridiculous it's like he's psychic in a way sometimes i don't know so sir this is just to uh say thank you for all of your creativeness that you put into the show uh you do a lot of creative posts you know you get things rolling in the nation you have a topic you bring it up you uh get a usually you you do a post and there's like multiple like hundreds of comments based on the topic that you've done. So I want to thank you for that, sir. Continue writing in your emails when you do. They're always informative and fun. And of course, I always love uh, your Facebook pictures that you make up for the situation. So definitely the award goes to you, sir, for most creative STL member of 2013. Good job. All right. Let's move into the comedian of the STL Nation in 2013. And that would hands down go to Professor X, a.k.a. Ivan. Sir, you are hilarious. Now, uh, a lot of you guys are my personal friends on Facebook, so you'll notice there's a lot of pictures that I share daily, and I would say that 90% of those come from Ivan. Ivan always finds a way to... uh, share these crazy hilarious pictures just makes me laugh makes me enjoy things and always uh when he does post uh he doesn't post very often but when he does he always has something funny to say always got my back in any situation loves the underground hour and uh he's guessed a few times correctly but he's definitely uh the person that i look forward to on facebook daily because he always has something funny for me to uh to read to share it is good time sir so i again thank you for all of your uh comic genius that you bring uh not only to the stl nation but also personally uh for facebook for me sir keep it up sir good job all right let's move on to the next one thing that you guys do all right so let's go to coolest moment of STL in 2013. Now, you would think that it would be the 100th episode with Johnny. Uh, that's for uh, a later award. This is actually something that was the coolest moment for me, and that was uh, having Sarah Rabbit on the podcast for the uh, Legend of Billie Jean episode. Uh, the reason why it was the coolest moment is because uh, it was Sarah's favorite movie. And uh, it was the first time that not only Sarah was on STL, but it was also her first podcast she was ever on. It was also the first time Jameson and Sarah had ever podcasted together. And it was also the first time that, uh, oh, I guess it would be she never got on Movie Mojo Monthly. So I had the honor and privilege of having Sarah Rabbit on a podcast, on my podcast, before she ever went on her husband's podcast. I thought that was really cool. And uh, it was total fun. She had a lot of great things to say. It was really funny. It was just a super fun episode. One of my favorites of the year. It was good time. So that was definitely the coolest moment for me. Uh, The coolest moment of 2013 was having Sarah on the podcast with Jameson for that episode. So let's move on to another award. All right. So that next award is going to be the special guest 
of STL in 2013. Now, we had uh, Lisa the Legend come on uh, as a guest host on uh, well, Mannequin, which is her favorite movie of all time. But I would have to definitely get, which I had a lot of fun, Lisa. Thank you so much for coming on. But I'd have to give this award to Jason. We had the return of Jason Spencer, a.k.a. the man, the myth, the legend from Flicks, Film and Focus, uh, Show Me the Winston, uh, The Shield Files, uh, Crossroads podcast, and then, of course, Real Films podcast with Jameson just started up this year. But he came on for Easy A. This was, in most people's eyes, this is the funniest episode of 2013. Uh, it's the one that just Jason was just uh, ripping on me on. And then Jameson had some of the most funniest wisecracks, like, look at me, I got a job. And just him and Jason going at it together and uh, Jason going on me. And then I had the moment of where like oh I don't know what I want to say and both of those laughing and it was like the most it was the funniest episode for sure of 2013 uh it's an episode that I can constantly go back and listen to and just laugh and it was an excellent time it was great having him back I it's the third time Jason was on the show uh due to where we live with the you know time uh, you know, I, I believe he's specific and, and I'm central. It's just, it's really hard to get our schedules together. So when he comes on, it's a big deal. Last time you heard him was on changing channels podcast. So whenever he comes on, it's definitely a special guest moment for me. So, uh, that award goes to Jason Spencer. Thank you, sir, for coming on and making easy a one of the funniest episodes of 2013, no doubt. All right. So let's move on to another award. All right. So the next one is definitely a very cool and fun one for me. And, uh, uh, that's the wrestling fan of the year of 2013 goes to my boy Jason Watson. Uh, Jason Watson is my homie. Uh, we talk every day uh, on Facebook. He is always supportive of the show, but he's a he's a humongous wrestling fan. That's how we got hooked up together uh, as friends. Uh, we talk wrestling all the time. In fact, I do a wrestling podcast with my friend Ryan over at the D2R podcast. Every month I do a face versus heel podcast. Uh, I'm the good guy. He's the bad guy. We just talk wrestling every month uh, of all the pay-per-views and stuff. And uh, he's always like, man, I need a good wrestling show. And that's the one for me. And uh, we talk wrestling all the time, but we talk movies and music. And uh, he was on this year for the Fast and Furious 6 review. You got to hear Watson's voice. So uh, definitely my boy. Uh, always a good time. Uh, we have a really good friendship. And uh, I cannot wait to have him again on the show sometime uh, this year. I believe he wants to talk house party. So that will definitely be some good times. So that definitely goes to you, sir, the Wrestling Award of the Year. And uh, I'm looking forward to many more wrestling talks. And uh, he actually went to WrestleMania this past year, which was totally awesome. So good times. All right, let's move on to the next award. The uh, the next one is the uh, crazy email award. That one definitely goes to Cheerful Charlie. And here's why he gets the crazy email award. Uh, Charlie should be renamed to too much information, Charlie. Charlie's one of those guys that... Uh, well, if, if you notice when he does a post in the STL Nation, he'll be like, yeah, I bought this movie and then I bought some socks and then, you know, I, I sat there and I had some food and then, you know, the wife's sick and, oh yeah, what do you guys think about this? You know, he'll like go into all these details, but then when he writes in, he'll be like, this movie rocks and that's it. That's all his email. It's like three or four words. It, that's why he gets the craziest email of the, of the year award because you're like too much information, dude, on everything. I want to know what you have to say about movies, what's your thoughts, opinion, and you just always write and say this movie rocks. 
boom. It's like, hello, dude. So that's why you get the, uh, the crazy emailer of the year award. We, if you're too much information on Facebook, sir, you need to be too much information in your emails. That's what I'm trying to say, sir. So looking forward to hearing from you uh, next year. And I want your emails to be longer, sir. I want to hear what you have to say. I don't want to hear this movie rocks and you're done. Nobody wants to hear that, sir. We all know the movie rocks or we wouldn't be talking about it. We want to know why you think it rocks. So there you go. So that award goes to you, sir. I hope you dig it. All right. Let's move on to the next award. The uh, next one is the uh, what I like to call uh, the Siskel and Ebert of 2013 award. And the reason why this award exists is because with Siskel and Ebert, you never knew if they were going to like something. And that definitely goes to Tawana Diversity Williams. One thing with Tawana that I never know is if she's going to like an underground hour. Uh, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this in the underground hour. She's going to like this song. She's going to like this song. And then she'll sit there and she'll give me a review. Oh, I hated this. I hated this. It was okay. This was awesome. This was great. It's always I never know what Tawana is going to like. And it's it's hilarious because she's transferred that on to CCP and to Movie Mojo Monthly. You just never know what Tawana is going to like. And we all love Siskel and Ebert, but you just never know. You never knew. Are they going to like this movie? Are they not? You know, it always kept things interesting. So I definitely love your uh, what you have to say, it's always a challenge for me to try to top, as you say, Underground Hour 5, which is your favorite. I always try to top that for you. And uh, I definitely enjoy having that flavor in the group. It's super fun and it makes things very interesting. So congratulations on that award. I hope you dig it. And it's not an offensive award. It's a very cool award and something you should be proud of. So, all right, let's move on to the next award. And uh, that one would be the uh, the sarcastic member of 2013. No doubt about it goes to Top Gun Jason. Oh my gosh. Jason Adams, sir, you are the most sarcastic person I have ever talked to in my entire life. Now, if you don't know uh, Mr. Adams here, uh, he loves Top Gun. That's how we got hooked up because I, I basically trashed it during the Iron Eagle review. And uh, he posts the most funniest things daily, but he's very sarcastic. Uh, as you know, he likes to say hugging, hugs and kisses in his uh, emails. If you listen to 100th episode, you know he's the one that wanted Jameson to act like Johnny. So uh, he also told me I lost my man card because I had never seen Indiana Jones, so on and so forth. So you are very funny, sir. I definitely enjoy having our conversations together because I know I can pretty much tell you anything and I could totally get away with it. I can call you the biggest piece of trash on the face of the planet and you just laugh and think it's a good time, which is always uh, it's always great to have a friend like that that you can be completely sarcastic with and know that they're being sarcastic with you and that nothing you're saying is offensive to them because you're both uh, talking to each other sarcastically in such a fun loving way so I definitely enjoy you sir having the sarcastic member of 2013 award it's excellent times and uh, hopefully you enjoy it sir all right good times all right let's move on to the next award now uh, this one is pretty cool for me this is the stitcher award of 2013 Uh, I this year in 2013 I branched out to stitcher I was like ah what the hell you know Jason I branched out his shows to stitcher I was like yeah it doesn't cost me anything and it gets it on internet radio why not and uh, we had a new member uh, of the STL Nation show up because of the fact I put the show on Stitcher. And uh, funny enough, he, uh, Dave uh, 
was found the show on Stitcher and did an amazing uh, Twitter post, which was excellent, which was about uh, Rocky IV. Let me go ahead and read this for you. Uh, he went on and said, uh, holy S, and you can fill in the blanks there, just discovered the STL podcast in time for a Rocky Four review, best 80s movie ever, hashtag how I learned Roman numerals. Uh, that was an amazing tweet. Uh, I put it up in STL Nation. Uh, always been a big support of the show. Sometimes I don't hear from him, but when I do, uh, he always has great things to say. He's requested uh, some uh, Jurassic Park uh, for January, so I am super pumped to uh, be doing that movie. So he definitely gets the Stitcher Award, which was very awesome for me this year. It was cool to know that I actually had people listen on Stitcher and that you found the show through Stitcher. It was just very cool. So I'm definitely very excited to give you that award, sir. So thank you so much for all your support, sir. Uh, good times. All right, so let's move on to the next award, which uh, this award is the uh, the super cool uh, moment award. Uh, which was from Hurricane Andrew. So uh, iTunes reviews are very hard to come by. And I ended up getting a lot of very nice uh, reviews in 2013. Uh, North Davidan said it's the best single microphone podcast on iTunes, which is excellent. However, um, I don't know if you're in the STL Nation because I haven't heard from you writing in. Uh, but I love your iTunes review. It was amazing. And then, of course, uh, Jason went ahead and reviewed the show. And then, of course, we had the podcast Freak one was awesome. Uh, and then I had Javier write a very amazing one, which is excellent. But I haven't heard from you, sir, uh, to write in so I can give you an award. Uh, but for sure, uh, we had Time Traveling Peter on here, but he gets a different award. So I have to give this one to Hurricane Andrew because you're part of the STL Nation, sir, because you wrote in and you're part of the group versus everybody else who wrote awesome iTunes reviews, but uh, either they got a different award or they haven't wrote in yet, so I don't know who they are enough for me to give them this award. So I'm going to give this one to you, sir, because you wrote uh, a very awesome iTunes review and said, hands down, best movie uh, movie podcast out there. I'm a big movie podcast junkie, and this by far is my favorite. Mr. Masunas is very funny and entertaining to listen to. It makes you want to go watch this movie in question, even if you've seen it 500 times, very positive and good-natured. And uh, he'll randomly just message me and just be like, oh, man, that episode was awesome. You know, thanks so much. Uh man, I love the show, you know, best podcast. I mean, he just gives me all these encouraging words. And it's just, it's a super cool moment when you just will find somebody, uh, you're not really sure how, and then all of a sudden they just become totally in love with the show and uh, becomes a big impact in the STL Nation, which is what we're all looking for. So everybody that wrote iTunes reviews this year, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. I loved everything you had to say, except for that one person that we won't name. However, uh, those of you who wrote all your awesome iTunes review, even though you're not getting this award, it doesn't mean I don't appreciate everything you had to say. iTunes reviews are very hard to come by. Thank you for taking the time to write that out. Every single one of you, I really appreciate it. And uh, this is just in a, you know, Hurricane Andrew, this is going to you, sir, for just always giving me those super cool moments of just reminding me of like, hey, you know, sometimes when I'm down in the dumps, you just kind of come in at the right time. And just be like, man, dude, don't forget how awesome your show is. And it's just, it kind of reminds me and it's excellent. So there you go, sir. You get that award good times. All right, moving on 
to the next award. Now, the next award is for the funniest moment of uh, 2013. Now, for some people, this may have uh, rubbed them the wrong way and maybe put it as the most annoying award of the year. However, I found it to be quite humorous. Uh, This one goes to Nathan69. You, sir, have the funniest moment because on the last Underground Hour, uh, I had guessed that tune, uh, which or name that tune, which is Wild Wild West by the Escape Club. And he writes in to me and he goes, hey, the song, I, the song I Want to Be a Cowboy by Boys Don't Cry. I love it. I love the video as well. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, that's the song from the last underground. And I'm like, uh, no, sorry, sir. You got the wrong answer. Clue number one, it doesn't have anything to do with Will Smith. Uh, it's the right answer. I Want a Cowboy has a horse named Trigger, of course. My name is Ted and I'll be the day. You know, and I'm like, dude, if you're talking about the last episode, you're wrong. I would know. I'm the one that played the song. Oh, sorry, you were right. It was the Wild Wild West from the Escape Club. I'm like, hello, I know this already because I'm the one that played it. I'm the one that put it in the show. I'm the one that edited it. And you're trying to tell me how I did my show. So I thought it was actually the funniest moment. Again, some people may put that as the most annoying moment of the year, but I actually found it humorous. Now, had you taken it to another level and been like real rude about it, it definitely would not be in the funniest moment of the year. It definitely would be like my worst moment of the year. But just the way that we were talking was just so funny. I was like, man, that that has to go down for an award. So thank you, sir. Uh, I always enjoy uh, when you write in. It's funny. Uh, you say some good stuff and it's an interesting on your views of the movies that we've been talking about lately because you got recently into the STL Nation just a few months ago, but you've definitely uh, had some great things to say and uh, it's been super fun, sir. So thank you so much and that goes to you, sir, for your award. All right, moving on to the next award. Now, some of you may be like, dude, where's my award? Now, there's certain people I am saving towards the end, so chill out if you're looking for your name. You're probably getting there in a little bit, okay? So just calm down. Uh, Now, the next one goes to the Silent But Deadly Award of 2013. And that has to go to Mr. Larry. Uh, Man, Larry, you are some good times, sir. I never hear from you. Half the time, I totally forget all about you. And then you'll come in and you'll start like posting all these cool pictures. You'll be like, yo, Mike, I love the show, man. Keep it up, man. You know, don't let nobody bring you down. You're just like, you're silent but deadly, sir. You have... You're silent in the nation, but when you come out, you're real deadly because you got some killer uh, pictures, you got some killer topics, and you got some killer uh, vocal uh, things that you're trying to say. Very impactful. Keep it up, sir. I dig it. Uh, I definitely appreciate all the support that you give me, sir. So I'm not forgetting about you, man. That's why you get an award. Uh, Thank you so much. So uh, the next one would have to be related, and that would be the person that uh, I miss hearing from. Even though this is the Frontline Awards, she's still impactful because she used to write in all the time, and all of a sudden, I never heard from her again. And that's Elizabeth Theater Geek Bullington. She used to write in all the time. All of a sudden, she just stopped. I didn't hear from her, nothing. And then like one day I just got like a, I got a new email from her like, Hey, sorry, life's been crazy. And I totally understood. And it was like, Oh, whew. you know, I thought something happened to you. Cause I love getting those, uh, female perspectives on, on movies. Uh, cause you know, I always get the mail. So I, I like to hear the female perspective. So, so you definitely get the mishearing from award in 2013. Hopefully you won't get this award next year. You'll get something else. So that one definitely goes to you. Good times. All right, let's move on to the next award. 
which I only have four left at this point. And these four uh, are actually the ones that uh, are the most, um, you know, are definitely the most impactful for me in 2013. So uh, the first one would definitely go to uh, the most overachiever award in 2013 has to go to Time Traveling Peter. Uh, You, sir, uh, man, you've killed it, man. You found the show. Uh, pretty late in the game, I would say maybe around, uh, I want to say August, and you found the show looking for Back to the Future. You refused to listen to the show in the future. You had to listen from episode one. And I'm like, dude, why are you doing that? It's crap. It's junk. Don't do that. You know, listen to new stuff. No, no, I'll catch up. And Peter ended up going through uh all 150 something episodes including the underground hours and the bonus episodes he did that in less than a month i would say overkilled it man it was crazy and then uh that's how he got his name because he would always write from the past about stuff i had done you know trying to get to the future and then peter's always like get in the facebook group active he's got all these crazy and fun games going on he's always trying to do things to uh make the show uh more fun you know the nation the group try to get everybody as interactive as possible he i can always count on him to write in every single episode i may not have uh you know the people i normally hear from uh i would expect an email from i can always count on peter no matter what even by the deadlines that I set, he'll always have an email in for me. And I really appreciate that, sir. I look forward to it every time. And then your biggest accomplishment has to be the fact that you're the STL encyclopedia. You remember stuff that I recorded myself and put together and don't even remember. You can always reference episodes, actors. It's always a good time. And you are officially the STL encyclopedia. It's awesome. So definitely, sir, you deserve this award for the overachiever of the year. Uh, I hope you get this award every year, man. Keep it up. Uh, you definitely bring a new light into the nation. That uh, it, It's just good times, man. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, the next one would definitely go to uh, the most influential uh, member of 2013. Now, um, when, when I say that, it doesn't put anybody down or anything. It's just they were the most in- influential on the podcast, and that would be Lisa the Legend. Guys, this this should be a no-brainer. Without Lisa, we would not have had Mr. Billy Zapka on the 100th episode, let alone Martin Cove. So clearly, Lisa should most definitely deserve the award for most influential member in 2013. She went out of her way to set up an interview for a dinky little podcast just to say thank you to the host. I mean, that was above and beyond what any listener of a podcast would ever do for somebody, let alone for me. So it it was amazing to have you on uh, for your favorite movie. It was my way of thanking you for doing what you did for my favorite movie, having you on CCP. You were the first guest on CCP, and then Jason came on as the second guest, so that was pretty awesome. But, uh, you know, you are definitely the most influential member of 2013. Uh, I can't ever thank you enough for what you did getting Billy Zabka on the show. Uh, it's definitely the highlight of the show. It's, I think, in everybody's favorite moment that will always be on everybody's list is having the 100th episode. 
So despite the fact it's like seven and a half hours long, that's still everybody's favorite moment, I would think, is having Billy Zapka on a podcast. Very cool. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. Good times. Uh, our second to last award, uh, this one goes to my, uh, this is my award for always got my back award. And, uh, this goes to two people. They both tie because of the fact of, uh, they're the people that it's always got my back. And, uh, for certain reason, let me explain this. So this one goes to John, the mailman and John, the music man. Now, uh, these two have been with me from the beginning since the show started. Uh, and here's why. They have this particular word of got my back. When I need a non-political answer to something, I will ask these guys. Uh, there may be a change I want to do in the show, uh, maybe an idea, maybe there's a movie or subject matter, and I won't. If I need a pers- a fan perspective that's not somebody who's a podcaster, not somebody who knows how things is, just somebody who's a legitimate fan and a friend, I'll ask these two. These are my guys. These are the ones that uh, some of the things you've seen happen in the show were because of these two guys. Uh, I would say the the best series I've ever done was the Rocky series, and that happened because of John, uh, the mailman. You know, uh, John uh, loves Rocky, and he was always on my case about it. And because of the fact I did Rocky was the reason Billy Zapka decided to come on the 100th episode because he listened to that episode and and he knew what I was all about. So had I not done Rocky, we wouldn't have Billy Zapka uh, officially talking. He would have done the email interview, but he wouldn't have done the phone interview, but it was because I did the Rocky series he did. And I think that was the, the best series that Jameson and I have ever done. It was the most intense talks we've ever had, especially on the Rocky Five. Uh, one, you know, because most of the time we get together, we're just having a blast, having fun. But we got legitimately uh, into it, uh, just talking, and not necessarily like Rocky Five, but just overall movies and stuff. That's when we got real, real down and dirty. Was in that series. So that's definitely my favorite series I've ever done. Was the Rocky series, and it was because of John the Mailman and John the Music Man. You guys know uh, has been my boy since the beginning, and did the dedication to him recently on the Underground Hour, but. Just when I need a, a perspective from two fans that are my friends that I know are going to be non-political, these are my two guys that I know have always got my back. So it's good time. So thank you guys as always. And uh, let's move into our final award of the night. All right. So f- the final award of the night obviously uh, last but definitely not least. And that's my homie of the year award. Hands down goes to my uh, very good friend, uh, Jameson, very good rabbit. You are definitely my homie of the year, sir. Uh, we have had so much fun together in 2013. Now, uh, I know this is a little bit different because, you know, I physically, uh, have hung out with Jameson and we talk all the time, uh, on the podcast and everybody else that gets these awards. We only talk, uh, you know, through writing. So yes, that puts him in a different situation, but, uh, everybody that I know that, uh, has been getting one of these awards have all told me how much better the show is when Jameson is on, uh, they'll just say, man, it's so much better when it's you and Jameson, you know, not like we don't love the solo stuff, but when I know I get a Jameson on the show, I know it's going to be a super fun episode. And I agree a hundred percent with that, which is why, 
Uh, Jameson killed it this year on STL. You know, this year, believe it or not, I recorded 64 episodes, you know, including all movie reviews, underground hour, bonus episodes. And uh, Jameson, you know, he broke uh, the record for being on the show. He was on the show for 15 episodes. We did 17 all together. Uh, he was on the Chick Flicks for Guys series. Uh, you know, we did, uh, you know, Scream during the Oktoberfest, which was one of my favorites. But, I mean, we did, uh, gosh, CCP episodes alone. Uh, we did seven, I believe. So it's just, it's super fun. I mean, the cool thing is we got to hang out together our second year, just hanging out as friends, uh, just talking just about life and movies and music and uh, family. Uh, just what we always do, but you know, when we get together for the podcast, it's very, you know, podcast related, but when we get to hang out in the summertime, it's just two guys hanging out as friends, you know, so he's definitely my homie of the year, always there for me, uh, even when I piss him off all the time, which only he's going to know those reasons, Uh, but overall though, he's just, I mean, he's my legitimate friend, uh, along with my, you know, my ghost co-host of STL. And, uh, it's always a fun time hanging out with them together. And, uh, as you guys have heard on the hundredth episode, you know, I, I kind of poured my heart out to him and stuff, but no doubt about it. He's definitely my homie of the year and, uh, gets the top award of the year, sir. So congratulations. And, uh, you know, hopefully nobody's pissed off about that, but if they are, they are deal with it. So, but overall guys, thank you uh, so much again. Uh, you, everybody that got these awards, it doesn't mean that's all you do. Everybody does multiple things, but this is the thing that your, your standout moment, you know, this is the, this is Christmas time. This is the time of giving. So this is my way of giving back to you guys and just recognizing you for your standout moments, uh, for what you do for me on the show and always making me want to do this show. Just so each of you that have gotten each of these awards, uh, I, I do it for you, and I always want to make you happy with each episode and try to top each one and make the show better and better and better. So that's it. That's it for the STL Frontline Awards. So hopefully we can add some more members to this next year, and we'll have different categories as well. So uh, why don't we go ahead and move into the Music Spotlight. Here comes the Ready and now. All right, guys, so for this episode of the Music Spotlight, I'm going to play something a little different for you. Uh, Normally on these Christmas episodes, I end the show with the Christmas song. I'm not going to do that this time because I got something a little bit different in mind. Um, I got a song that I've been really, really listening to quite a bit uh, this past month. To be honest with you, it's been kind of a really rough month uh, for me. And, you know, Christmas time is definitely a time where some people feel very strong and other people feel very weak. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of joking around with the, the Siskel and Ebert Award with Tawana about, uh, you know, her favorite Underground Hours, Episode 5, and how it can never be topped. The song I'm going to play for you is a song that I've actually played a few times on STL. And I could honestly say, you know, I've played hundreds of tunes on this show. This would easily be in my top five favorite songs I've ever played on STL. 
Uh, it's an anthem song for me. Uh, and it's a song that's really helped me get through my month. And I think will really help people um, that maybe are going through a hard time like myself. And it's a song that is, I think, Tawana's favorite song from uh, STL. And that is Unbreakable by the band Fireflight. Uh, this is a song that I think I've played like five times already. So chances are you've already heard this song. But the reason I'm playing it is because of the fact of I'm feeling very breakable this past month. And especially with the Christmas area, you know, the Christmas holiday coming up. Uh, I've, you know, this song pumps me up. This is my anthem song. And I'm, I'm to the point now where I am feeling unbreakable, that nothing can just tear me down, break my spirit, no matter what. And that's what this song is all about, man. This song is fantastic. Uh, again, you've heard this song before, but... For me to close out a Christmas episode, I want to do an anthem song that's uplifting and, uh, you know, definitely will get uh, your heart pumped, your head's, your head's banging uh, for this Christmas season. And uh, I know I normally play a Christmas tune at the end, but hey, I got to change it up a little bit. So I hope you enjoy it. And uh, don't forget to write in. Uh, that's stlpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to go on Twitter at stlpodcast. And then don't forget to go on Facebook www.facebook.com slash sweep delay podcast make sure you be part of the stl nation you guys want to get an award for next year you gotta be part of the nation folks you gotta write in you gotta be part of the nation i want to hear from you i like getting new members it's super fun times now the next episode is my favorite episode the one that i've been waiting to do for months literally months planning out and that's my top 20 songs of 2013 with my top five films of 2013. That will be the next episode. Maybe a surprise episode with Jameson might be coming up soon. Who knows? Let's hope that snow stops so we can get together soon and record some fun times. I believe it'll be Terminator 2. Uh, we shall see. But count on the next episode being that obviously there's not going to be an episode next week because it is Christmas Eve and Christmas. So obviously you're getting this episode a little early. So I do want to wish you Merry Christmas early. I hope you have a good one. And I want to thank you for checking this episode out. I hope you had a good time. Uh, and I hope everybody likes their award. And just know that, uh, you know, I thank every single one of you guys for all your love and support. It's excellent times. So closing out with final words, I hope you guys have a beautiful Christmas. And uh, make sure you have a fun one. And just hang out with the family and just just have try to make it your best Christmas that you've had in a very long time. And uh, for those of you that may be hurting out there, hopefully this song will definitely help you out as it's been helping me out this past month. So you guys have a good one. Take care. And soon as out.
hold you back and turn your dreams to dust. All you need to do is just.